0: Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And uh, this morning, real quick, I want to mention the Sobertownpodcast.com website. Uh, We have all of our episodes on there and we have blogs, uh, toolboxes. Uh, There's a lot of different tools in those blogs that can help you. Uh, with uh, sorting out your addictions. And then we have before and after pictures, tattoos, there's all kinds of cool things on there. And it's all dealing with uh, sobriety. And then our our lovely girl, Karina, is on vacation riding around on her Cam Am bike. So if you wanna check her out, she's a Cam Am girl UK on Instagram. And then this morning, we're going to be talking about bipolar. CC. good morning. Good morning. How
1: are you?
0: I am good. I'm really excited that you're here. I'm and I'm really, you- yeah, and I'm really excited that we're, we get to discuss this because you don't really see a lot of these discussions that, well, I'm not anyway, with uh, mental illness and addiction. So it's, it's probably out there somewhere, but I just, I don't run into it a lot. Usually it's, you got to go through certain processes just with addiction, but there's more to it, isn't there?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, um, you can find a lot on mental illness and on addiction kind of separately, right? Be, um, but that's not to say that they don't occur together. Let's just say that your Google search becomes a lot more complicated when you're trying to pair Um, I guess you could say, um, two diagnoses or two, um, two things that are happening at the same time. So um, when you put the information together, you know, addiction, and with a mental illness like bipolar disorder, it actually changes the way that you look at both things separately. So um, yeah, the information is there. But like I said, it's not quite as accessible as maybe it should be.
0: And then you probably wouldn't even know that you have one of these mental illnesses unless you remove the alcohol, right?
1: This is true. Um, I mean, you may be diagnosed with um, a mental illness of some sort, uh, you know, earlier on in your life. Uh, You know, there are teenagers who experience depression. Um, The average age of onset for a lot of mental illnesses is uh, late teens, early 20s. Um, So it it is possible that you could have um, experienced mental health uh, issues or like maybe even before your drinking um, kind of started or amped up. Um, So it's not to say that drinking causes uh, mental health issues, but drinking, especially to excess, definitely would not help you in this area.
0: And it can like even... Cover, like you and I talked about before this, it can cover um, your symptoms because I'm 58 years old and my whole life I thought that I, it was just the alcohol was the reason why I'm alcohol. I, I was acting out. And then I found out, hold it, the alcohol is gone and I still have these, these symptoms.
1: Yeah. Because what we, most people know um, that alcohol is actually a depressant. So naturally as a depressant when you're using it it is going to impact your mood. And I think I said to you just before we started uh, recording this podcast was that alcohol was like a layer that was kind of on top of me and when I removed it it wasn't until it was gone that I started seeing the impact that alcohol was having on my mental health. And I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder like 15 years ago. So I've known about this for a long time, but one of, I guess my biggest shortcomings with managing my mental health, and I've been very active managing my mental health. I failed to see the connection. Um, I failed to see how much alcohol was impacting my mood because I honestly thought that, if I wasn't drinking, so if I had a couple days where I wasn't drinking, I didn't think alcohol was impacting me, right? And so what kind of happened is that once I removed it entirely and started looking at my mood again, I realized, whoa, the fluctuations in my mood aren't nearly what they were before. And I wasn't experiencing um, the same like the same amount of anxiety. Things, things changed when alcohol was removed and i've stopped drinking about 114 days ago which is very long. Thank you. It hasn't been very long.
0: That's huge. That's
1: But i can tell you i have seen a difference and i started seeing the difference as early as about 6 weeks. So yeah.
0: That's huge. And and you. it your time that is huge how much time you have. I mean yeah. because even getting one day i couldn't even do one day, day in the beginning. So you're you separating yourself and getting off the alcohol is huge. So then there's, you were talking about there's five different, you want to talk a little bit about the five different um, um, diagnosis of, of bipolar? Is that what it is, diagnosis?
1: Yeah, so um, we've been talking about bipolar disorder and like Um, I'm using the term alcoholism. Um, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but just as we wouldn't look at somebody um, who has difficulty uh, with their relationship with alcohol, just as we wouldn't put them all into one box. um, It's the same with bipolar disorder. Okay. Everyone has their own individual experience. Okay. And so with bipolar disorder, it's the exact same thing just because two people have the diagnosis of bipolar disorder doesn't mean that they are the same. So under the classification of bipolar disorder as a diagnosis, they have currently uh, five different types. Um, They're kind of like archetypes. So you can have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, but it could be a different type than somebody else. And so the way that these types are classified are kind of based on how we characterize the fluctuation in the moods. So in my previous podcast, we discussed um, mania and depression are the two uh, mood types that occur with bipolar disorder. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum, okay? Mania would be your heightened elevated mood. Um, And I talked about how this tends to be a uh, destructive type of mood, you don't have a full awareness of what you are doing. Um, Mania is also very closely associated with addiction. Um, And then the other extreme would be depression. So the five different types, they started out as two types, then there was three and now there's five. So we're expanding our definition here. So bipolar one, um, this, type tends to experience higher levels of mania um, compared to the other types. So this elevated mood um, that might be characterized by addictive behaviors, grandiose behaviors, destructive behavior, this type tends to go pretty high, tends to stay kind of high, but of course it does experience the lows of depression as well. So, there's a big gap between the high and the low. Bipolar two, it's the same thing in the sense that we're experiencing highs and lows, but the high isn't quite as high. Um, bipolar two tends to go up into what is called a hypomania. And hypomania is think of it as kind of like a pre mania, right? Um, It doesn't tend to be as uh, destructive. Um, It tends to be a period of productivity. You feel good. You've got good energy. Um, It's a good, it feels like a good place to be, but it is not a sustainable mood type for somebody with bipolar disorder. So bipolar two, the highs aren't quite as high but you still experience the loads. So those are the original two types in terms of the diagnosis. And of course, um, in the diagnostic criteria, you would have to meet certain, you know, tenants to get put into these subtypes. Yeah. So the third type is actually it's my type, uh, it's called rapid cycling. So this is when you are fluctuating a full mood cycle. So you go to the full height and the full low about three to four times a year. So you are not staying in a manic episode or a depressive episode for extended periods of time. So there is lots of movement with this type. Um, This can be difficult to manage because you're never in one place for at one time for very long, right? You, you're always kind of on the move. Um, so it requires a lot of adapting and uh, a lot of additional help to, you know, navigate so quickly. Um, the two newest types that I've came across. But on were, this type
0: with the, the, with the rapid, mm-hmm. also uh, you mentioned that there's a high suicide rate in this one.
1: The, the challenge with a rapid cycler or rapid cycling just in general is that when you have a high, and again, a lot of things can happen in a manic episode that you wouldn't necessarily do normally. And dealing with the consequences of what has happened in a manic episode, whether that be um, being reckless with your money, being reckless with your relationships, these types of things, when you go from being in an elevated manic state and then you just kind of drop really fast down into a depression, it can be a very like jarring experience because it's almost, I think I likened it to a a night of drinking and a blackout and people are telling you what you you did and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. It's very similar when you come out of a manic episode and you just drop down to be very depressed very quickly. And so instances of self-harm and uh, possibly um, suicide can be very uh, likely with this type um, because this is happening so frequently and so quickly. Um, Mind you, with any type of mental illness, You know, harm against yourself is something that needs to be taken very seriously. Um, But uh, when you're moving very rapidly from mania to depression, this is a very at risk time for you you're very emotionally vulnerable you experience a lot of shame you experience a lot of guilt you are embarrassed about your behavior you want to disappear you don't want to exist all of these sort of thoughts are happening because you're transitioning into this very low depressed state when just like a few days before you were on top of the world so um it's a it's a very vulnerable time yeah
0: yeah uh, so there's two other.
1: Yeah. These ones are newer ones that I just kind of came across. One is, I uh, can't say it right. Like it's, it's related to the weather. Um, uh, there's been a known connection between uh, the winter months and depression, right? When you don't have as much sun, people tend to get sometimes uh, lower moods. This is related to vitamin D and all that kind of stuff. Um So people, or doctors, I guess, medical professionals have been seeing a connection with bipolar or um, alternating mood states in relation to the weather. So um, that's one. And the other type is uh, not otherwise specified. Or yeah, not otherwise specified. NOS is the um, abbreviation. So what NOS means is that you experience many symptoms um, of bipolar disorder of various types, but you don't necessarily fit neatly into one of the boxes. You're bipolar-ish, I guess we could kind of say. So the not otherwise specified diagnosis is uh, applied when you don't quite fit the diagnostic criteria, criteria of one of the other ones. And I think that this is a very important um, diagnostic distinction because like I said, there's so much individual variation with mental health, just like there is with alcohol use, right? And so having a not otherwise specified diagnosis can still help you get the treatment um, that you need, um, even if you're not necessarily fitting nicely into A a little diagnostic package. Um, So I was actually happy to see um, that diagnosis pop up in my latest research. So um, those are the five types, starting with bipolar one and bipolar two. Those were the two originals. Rapid cycling came in as a third. And then the weather related and NOS have sort of came in uh, most recently.
0: So I, I guess real quick, I want to do, I, I do want to say that we're not professionals and mm-hmm. we're just going with our experiences. You've dug in your experiences are really, cause you were diagnosed when you were younger, what? 23. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, so
1: everything I have, everything I'm telling you is, um, 15 years worth of lived experience i did not come prepared with any statistics for you or i'm not quoting anything um, the vast majority of what i am saying is my personal experience and um and how i've interpreted it so, well let's yes. let's
0: talk about that a little bit because you came to a point where you had to decide do i want to just take a pill or how you want to proceed with your this bipolar
1: Yeah, so I, I was, um, I will always say that I was lucky in the sense that I received my diagnosis at 23 years old, that is that is relatively young for bipolar disorder. And I was in my last year of university. And I um, was doing really well in university and was looking to move into a direct entry PhD program uh, from my undergrad. And my mental health um, rapidly declined, so I was again early twenties ish, as I mentioned before. That tends to be the time period that a lot of mental illnesses begin to present themselves, and all of a sudden, I found myself in a situation where I I, I was at risk of not graduating, right? My you know academic future was at risk. I you know I just couldn't handle the pressures of academia and. I was desperate. And so when the, you know, doctor said to me, you know, okay, yeah, you have bipolar disorder. Yeah, okay, okay, can I have meds for that? Like, what can I do, you know? And so I took medication very willingly because um, I wanted to make sure that I graduated, right? So my initial motivation was get better as quickly as possible so you can carry on with your life. Now, again, this was a bit of a naive, worldview. Um, When you start taking any medication, it doesn't work overnight. All right. So um, although my life took a different course, you know, wasn't what I was planning. um, I came to a realization that bipolar disorder was not going to be something that went away. I was going to live alongside bipolar disorder for the rest of my life. And so I had to make a decision. I think I was about 25 or 26 when I really understood this and how am I going to do this? So I decided that I would be one of those people who continually takes medication. However, that would not be my only course of action. Medication for me is a tool and I take my medication alongside of regular psychiatrist appointments, regular therapy appointments. I go to groups. I do as many activities as I can find that are good for my mental health. I, I meditate. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. I've done as many things as I can, not to excess, but medication is not my only approach. And, in general, and I think we've found this in um, the sober community, taking a holistic approach or approaching your addiction or approaching your mental health from multiple different angles, using um, you know multiple different, I guess, like techniques, you can experience the benefits um, more. And so I've cont- I'm 38 years old now, I made this decision when I was about 25 or 26, and I have stayed on my medication ever since then. But I've always continued to engage in those additional behaviors and activities to maintain my mental health.
0: But this is no walk in the park. Just because you're doing all these things doesn't mean that you're like all of a sudden cured and you don't go through any of these episodes. Yeah,
1: you're not immune. You're not immune, right? right? And so the reality, and of my life um, living with bipolar disorder is that for the rest of my life, I will continue at some point to have episodes of mania and I will also um, continue to have episodes of depression. And some people might say that that is a negative way of looking at it, but I don't think so. This is a realistic, expectation of my life, right? And so I find that when I accept that that is what a bipolar diagnosis means, I feel better equipped to live with it and manage it, because I know what's coming, right? And so in those times of stability and wellness, I continue going to therapy I continue to meditate I continue to be physically active because during those times of wellness I don't just stop right it's those times of wellness that allow me to continue coping in those times of unwellness
0: and that's so I mean that's just so much it's like related to alcohol it's Mm -hmm. the same way I mean you could be going through all these great periods of no cravings or anything Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how long you're into it and all of a sudden you get bombarded with Mm -hmm. thoughts of um i'm missing out everybody else is having fun and you're just stuck in this like little cycle of oh um you get i think it's like thoughts of moderation i want to be like them type scenarios but um and just like alcohol, we're, we have to strategize to stay off the alcohol. Mm-hmm. You have to strategize with doing all these things with your mental illness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's awareness is very key. You know, when you're dealing with addiction or when you're dealing with your your mental health, um, if you are not aware, then um, making decisions about how to keep yourself well becomes very difficult. Um, And so sometimes you need help with learning how to be aware, it might not come naturally to you. Uh, Part of the reason why I am an extremely aware person is because, like I said, I've been in therapy for 15 years, I've, I've been trained how to be aware. And so there is absolutely no shame in getting help to learn how to be self aware. And um, I I highly recommend if you're having uh, trouble have, being aware of your behaviors and your moods and your addictive um, uh, behaviors to to seek out um, a therapist. And there's a lot of stereotypes um, about what therapy is like, but if you find the right um, type of therapist, whether it be a social worker or a psychologist or whatever, um, If you find the right person to work with, um, it makes all the difference in the world and you will be able to have this tool in your toolbox. And then you can start to learn how to create your own strategies to maintain your wellness and maintain your sobriety.
0: So even like you doing all these things, you, you end up in Marilyn Monroe situations, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh is that the segue into the Marilyn Monroe story? <laughs>
0: it is. It is. Want to share that <laughs> um, with us?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, and was
0: this recently?
1: No, this one was um the Marilyn Monroe story was actually one of my first uh, Manic episodes. And so um at this time, what speaking of awareness, I didn't have any. Um, I had no idea what was happening to me, so.
0: Um, oh, you know what? I just because I keep these in segments, and this yeah. is a perfect time for me to say. We're, we're to be continued. A, yeah, let us take a break because I we're a couple minutes over, and then I can keep this everything on track because then we know exactly where we're coming back to. So we'll be cool. right back. Okay, so we're back, and then you're going to tell us this, Marilyn Monroe. Okay.
1: Um, So this is not one of my greatest moments, but it's probably one of the best examples of mania that I have in my life. And mania is something that we were particularly interested in because as mentioned previously, um, addictive behaviors can occur during mania. Um, So Although at the time, um, I wouldn't say that drinking was one of my addictive behaviors. I would say that shopping was, so, um, I was, uh, again, I think I was about 24 or so, and I hadn't really settled in to, um, a group with a psychiatrist. Um, I was seeing the one on campus every six weeks. I didn't, I didn't have the proper medication. I didn't have a therapist. I was just kind of white knuckling it. and. Um, But what i did know was that when i went shopping i just kind of like felt better just something made me feel better right and i was at the age where it's like i didn't have any credit cards so when i applied for a credit card i just got one so i got a credit card in the mail and uh, i took the bus to the mall and it was right around christmas time and um, they had lots of like the kiosks up with the nice prints and the frames and all that kind of stuff. And I had had a bit of a trigger earlier on that day. Me and my boyfriend at the time had had a fight and broken up, I think. And he really liked Marilyn Monroe. And he had like a, a small poster in his room of Marilyn Monroe. And I walked by a kiosk and they had these portraits of Marilyn Monroe. And in my mind, I think I was thinking something along the lines of, "If I get a whole bunch of Marilyn Monroe posters, which he will love, everything will be okay." This is kind of what I'm thinking, right? He likes Marilyn Monroe. If I get Marilyn Monroe, I can fix this. Yeah, I can fix this, and he will like me. And um, I proceeded with my brand new credit card. Uh, to purchase about $2,000 worth of Marilyn Monroe artwork and prints. And uh, it took me four trips back and forth on the bus, back and forth from my apartment to the mall to lug all of this artwork that I bought of Marilyn Monroe. And And that
0: whole time, you were like in this heightened awareness. I'm just
1: like, this is so great. This is, you know, I, I, I'm so clever, uh, that I thought of this, he's going to be so happy. It has nothing to do with my inner self-care or self-work. It's something that's completely external to me.
0: Or even that, reality, really?
1: Yeah. It's not even based in reality, right? Like, okay. So I'm going to plaster my wall with expensive Marilyn Monroe prints.
0: Therefore, and you're, our and relationship you're gonna is like, fixed. Right. Yeah. And
1: you're going to like me. And um, that's not exactly how it happened, but yeah. So I had all these like Marilyn Monroe posters and it, it was literally four like, trips
0: on the city bus,
1: on the city bus. And at no point during any of these trips, did the thought cross my mind? Maybe you went a little overboard that never crossed my mind. Right. That, that just goes to show, like when you're in this state of mania, I've mentioned that you have this lack of consequence, right? You have this lack of understanding um, of like the future, right? All that matters is right then and right there, you just think that you're you're the greatest. And like naturally I'm thinking, oh, I got a credit card and like it's it's not real money.
0: This is a good time to list like some of those um, that you may have been in the middle of having a higher than normal energy Mm -hmm. levels. Being rel- restless or unable to sit still, having a de- mm-hmm. decreased need for sleep, yeah. um, having increased self esteem or confidence or grandiosity. Yep. yep. Being extremely talkative, racing mind, lots of thoughts, easily to. I mean, you're in the middle of all of that.
1: Yeah. So that, right, right what you just listed there is like the checklist of mania. Right. And in that one scenario, every single one of those things were met. The guy that sold me the art, like, I remember him being hesitant. Like, are you sure? Like, like, I think he thought I was nuts. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sure. And what ended up happening with this Marilyn Monroe thing, I'm just going to wrap it up here. But um, I kind of told him, we ended up getting back together. I was like, yeah, I got you a really nice Marilyn Monroe print for, um, for Christmas. And he's like, yeah, I'm not one of those crazy people that just plasters my wall with like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> oh, shit. And I was like, and you want to know what that did? I think I talked to you about that. That put a little pinprick in the balloon, the helium balloon that I was in. And I just fizzled right down into like with, within a day.
0: It deflated it, you.
1: It deflated me completely right down into like the depths of a depression, couldn't get out of bed um, for like know, weeks. Kind weeks. Of thing. Yeah. And it just took me right out. Cause again, with bipolar disorder, there is a, you have difficulty regulating these moods and how you move in between them. It is totally natural for you to get excited about something and when it doesn't go your way you kind of experience a dip that is totally natural right but But in a normal
0: in a normal cycle they're they're not like they're not way down
1: and way down they're just a cycle it's a smaller if you picture like a sound wave right like it's just it's it's smaller right? But when you picture someone that um, has bipolar disorder, especially when it's not fully managed or treated properly, the highs are way up and the lows are way down. And so then I had to take, take down all the Marilyn Monroe art. And I think I hit it all. Um, but to this day, I, I kept one. I have one of these pictures, but you want to know what that one picture that reminds me of that experience. And on some of the worst days that I've had, if I see that picture, I am reminded why I take my medication, why I do what I do to stay healthy, how I had to dig myself out of financial ruin multiple times. Right. And so for me, because is this a- isn't
0: the first time no. you've gone mania yeah. and, and broke out the credit card.
1: No, it's, it's my, it's my go-to, it's your right? go-to. Um, eventually drinking kind of, made its way in there as well um but yeah i i keep that picture as a as a reminder of what what can happen and i honestly love this print for that it is like a physical reminder of of that
0: so here you're doing all these things you're going to uh, you see a psychologist you're going to group therapies uh, group meetings therapy yoga awareness <laughs> And you still have to strategize your life right now because you can end up. Well, this is a whole. This is all. has been a learning process over fifteen years.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, obviously, the first couple of years were. Uh, I'm going to use the phrase "white knuckling it." Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Really, I I knew I had this diagnosis, but I didn't exactly understand how I was going to cycle through it, what it would look like. It it takes time to build up awareness. Um, uh, Just like, you know, when you stop drinking, it takes time to really connect with those certain things that are going to trigger you. You don't just know as soon as you stop, um, you know, but you build up a knowledge of yourself.
0: But you have to stop the alcohol mm -hmm. before you build any awarenesses period.
1: It, It will help it will help. I, a lot of the awareness that I established, um, was, uh, you know, before I got sober, um, and I was still working on myself even when I was drinking. Right. So, um, but when you remove the alcohol or any addictive substance from the equation or addictive behavior from the equation, you are left with a much truer version of what is underneath. And I think that if you want to maximize your effectiveness um, in whether it be a treatment or, you know, like I, we've been talking about awareness a lot or self-care and self-love and all that kind of stuff, there is a layer that almost has to be, you have to be willing to be exposed and be vulnerable with it. And what does, what, what do we do with alcohol? I used it to escape, right? So in a way, I kind of hit a wall a little bit when I was, when I was drinking, like I had done a lot of work and I had a lot of awareness and I had a lot of strategies and I knew myself really well. Um, But at some point when I was drinking quite a bit, I don't think the effectiveness of the things that I was doing was quite as good, right? Because I was actively choosing to drink to escape and that's exactly my pledge every morning
0: well fortunately you know? for you you were you're diagnosed so mm-hmm. you knew that there was I an underlying
1: yeah now but if you don't a lot of know... us
0: like i'm 58 years old mm-hmm. and even my nine years of being sober i never even realized about a mental illness mm-hmm. to me mental illness was uh fictitious yeah, or it was false. I didn't believe in it, and mm-hmm. even with my mom, who's highly educated and she's got a master's somewhere with um, psychology, I wouldn't even listen to her. And I would mm-hmm. tell her, "Don't start your psycho babble bullshit with me," because I don't mm-hmm. believe in it. Until I removed the alcohol, mm-hmm. CC, I never even knew it. And then it's just the last few months that I've realized uh, that I did have a mental yeah. illness. But until I remove the alcohol, they, they are so, they parallel, like you said, they're married.
1: Yeah. And yeah. they
0: parallel each other so strong. Mm-hmm. If if somebody hasn't been diagnosed with, um, like you were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: probably trying to figure out that you have a mel- mental illness on top yeah. of your addiction is almost impossible.
1: Trying to to weed it out, right? And especially if you're not working with someone with this it would be very hard to kind of figure out you know what what is what is the addiction doing what what is the mental health doing and the difficulty like you're saying i just want to address what you were saying about um you know this concept of mental health and having trouble um you know like you said believing it if you will mental health is invisible addiction a lot of the time is invisible right and so if you cannot see something, it is very difficult to understand that it still exists. right. And that's that's a really huge concept. And I have a, a in my life too, a lot of, when I kind of came out as having um, difficulties with my relationship with alcohol, people didn't believe me Why? Because you know, I I smiled. I laughed, you know,
0: and, and, same with when I,
1: yeah, and same with like bipolar disorder, you know, it's like, did you ever think that I've like mastered the art of masking everything? Like, you know, this is obviously my first coping mechanism was look normal, <laughs> right. right? So I've been perfecting this, you know, for a very long time. And I think I mentioned in the, when I was talking to Karina last time, um, That uh, I actually started to believe that alcohol was helping me maintain this composure. It like it was the weirdest thing. I was like, if I don't drink, then I can't be composed. I I don't even
0: know and you're on this medication
1: that's telling me don't drink. Don't drink. It well, it's enhances the effects of alcohol. So it's like one drink is like three. So if I'm having eight drinks. That's like 24, something, something like that. Right. So every single medication that I take and, you know, um, not going to go into specifics about how many or whatever, but the majority of the medications that are prescribed to maintain, um, your mental health, many of them will have a nice sticker on them that, tells you or advises you not to drink or tells you that uh, the effects of alcohol will be enhanced and may cause drowsiness. And I actually built up like a tolerance to this, right? Like it used to knock, like when I, when I was still drinking on my medication on the early days, it would just like, no, I'd have like three or four drinks and I was just like done. But the night that, you know, the last time I drank, I had probably the equivalent of like I don't know, 13 or 14 drinks. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not healthy and depending on what medication you're on, these medications are metabolized through the liver and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, you know, I was, I was taking my medication with the wine, you know, screw water, you know, right. Right. I mean, they'll they'll still go down with the wine. Right. But yeah.
0: So here you are, you're off the alcohol and, You still have all these things that you're doing, and you still have to strategize mm-hmm. for your life to keep yourself from going into these episodes. Or yeah. if you do go into these episodes, that you have a way out. Have a plan. You, you have a plan. And your your partner helps you too, right? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I've uh developed a lot of insight into my own behavior over the years, and you know, I mentioned. How uh, when my mood starts to elevate into hypomania and sometimes into full-blown mania, um, I default towards the shopping. And uh, just recently, like about a month ago, um, I blew my budget by over $1,000. Amazon's ringing my doorbell six times a day. And in a moment of clarity, I realized what was happening, that I was using this shopping. And this this was the first time I had experienced a hypomania since I stopped drinking. Right. Okay. So I wasn't drinking. So that, that's something that I didn't mention to you before was that the first time that I experienced an elevated mood um since I stopped drinking, amazingly enough, I didn't go right for the alcohol, which I am like slightly surprised but grateful for. Um, but the shopping like amped up. And I eventually in a moment, moment of clarity said to my partner, I I confessed it. And I was like, I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking about lying to you. I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking about shipping this stuff to my parents address. You know, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm strategizing how to be destructive. Right. So In that moment of clarity and awareness, I just said, "This is what's happening."
0: And And, you were able to shut it down. I was like, "You got to
1: make sure I don't dig into my RSPs, You know, make sure that I don't dig into my daughter's savings." And so we actually we did many different things. Um, We disabled like my PayPal account. Um, We review my finances together, uh, not on a daily basis, but pretty regularly. You know, I we have a joint credit card, so I. It, it sometimes in ways it feels like I'm being micromanaged, but I know that this is for my my own well-being because I'm preventing myself from elevating up, 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 up and becoming even more out of control, out of control, destructive, destructive, and then crash. I'm actually like catching this
0: it. right, because this could go on and on. Yeah. Like. Um, this stuff up, up, up. to your parents' homes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, man, this mirrors alcohol so much, doesn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And so it's getting to the point now where I'm thinking about sacrificing trust, right? Yeah, right. okay. I'm, I'm, I'm shipping leggings from American Eagle to my parents. Doesn't seem like a big thing, but you want to know what? That means that I've lied to my partner. Right. Right. And so- the other thing about this is that yeah, we we've argued about this. I get defensive about this when he confronts me about buying $40 worth of floss.
0: Long
1: <laughs> story. But um that's at the same time part of
0: that story. $40. Yeah, oh, there's there's
1: a story. Um, but yeah, that's part of it though, is that hypomania and mania is not a sustainable mood. So although we might be arguing about this right now. And I might be pissed off at him because I feel like he's being controlling of me, even though I told him to be because
0: um, you guys have discussed this. We've
1: discussed this, but I'm not going to stay in this state forever. You know, I might be hypo in hypomania. I might be in mania, but I can't stay there forever. Eventually, I'm going to come back down. Hopefully, the hope is that I will pass through a period of stability, um, which is always the hope. If you if you come down and stay on that, you know that flat line for a bit, um, that's the best you can hope for. And it, well, it let's happens. just look at
0: this situation right here, <laughs> mm-hmm. because you prevented uh, with that moment of clarity of this escalating mm-hmm. in, into the uh, the mistrust. Mm-hmm. sending the stuff over to your parents and in, into what it would have snowballed into, you didn't reach your highest high. Mm-hmm. And that, which in, in other words, you didn't have to go as low as yeah. low when it all unfolded.
1: Yeah. I did something very similar. Um, when my partner went away for a couple of days, um, there, we do keep a small amount of alcohol in the house. He's one of those super moderators. I don't know how he does it, but, um, although I hadn't been tempted or even really aware of the alcohol that was in the house, when he left, I was like, take it all with you. Right. You know, he's like, he's like, you're not going to drink the this or, you know, whatever it is, some obscure like creme de menthe. You're not going to drink a bottle of creme de menthe. I'm like, Oh, it's like mouthwash. I might, (laughs) you know? So, but I was, although I've been living with it and it hasn't been bothering me, I was like, nope, just take it all, right? And and he did. And that was, again, an example of how I had like this awareness that, you know, I'm going to be alone for the first time in many, many months. I know that loneliness, feeling lonely is a trigger for drinking. And how do I know this? Because I've been connected with a lot of people who are um, addressing learning how to live a sober lifestyle. And I have seen people who have struggled with being alone. And even though I haven't personally struggled with that, I'm going to take the same steps that they took to help myself. And so it's a, it's a proactive. And
0: it's the same. You're being proactive with your mental illness, Mm -hmm. doing all these things and you have to do, it's like you have to do it twice. You have to do it for your mental illness and you have to do it for your recovery.
1: Well, like you said, um, there are, they are separate, right? But I do find that when I work on my mental health, my addiction recovery does get benefit. And when I work on my sobriety, my mental health gets some benefit, right? They're a reciprocal relationship. So doing work on one, it's not like completely apart from the other, but yeah, in some ways I am working on them separately, but they do reinforce each other. I would say that part of the reason why I, have, I feel like I've been successful with my sobriety so far um, is because I amped up the the mental health component. You know, I went to like weekly therapy appointments instead of um once a month or twice a month. You know, I started doing more journaling. I started, you know, d- doing the things that enhance my feeling of um like well-being in a general sense, more exercise, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, my sobriety is my number one priority. And when that stays intact for me, I find that everything else kind of naturally kind of slots into place. It doesn't just line up, but it just kind of comes together. You're
0: more back on the normal sound wave than a normal person or however a person that doesn't have to deal with this would be.
1: Yeah. I, I feel right now that I'm, um, I'm, I'm on a, a level I've reached, I've, I'm, a, I'm at a point of stability right now. And there is nothing more rewarding than being at a stable place. Because like I said, I do know that the stability isn't going to last forever. And I'm totally fine with that. And this isn't a negative outlook for me. But I, kn- I know, sorry, that I will probably go up at some point, And I will probably go down at some point. And so this concept of one day at a time that we talk about, with being sober it's the exact same with mental health whether you're depressed and you have a day when you realize that you know what I I think I'm coming out of it right when you start to have or with any illness maybe you've had the flu for like a week it doesn't matter when you have that feeling that you're feeling better and that you're feeling whatever your normal might be, cherish it, be grateful for it, savor it.
0: And then let's talk about this with the mental illness. If all of a sudden you get to the place where you think, you know what, I'm I'm in a good place and I don't need the therapy. I don't need the Mm -hmm. psychologist. I don't need the groups. I think I could do this on my own. Mm -hmm you're kind of setting yourself up, aren't you?
1: With bipolar disorder, particularly, there is a very, I don't wanna say high rate, but there is a high risk of discontinuing your treatment when you enter into a hypomania or uh, mania state. And this is because as we've been talking about, hypomania in particularly feels very good. It feels very productive mania you just don't really know the difference you just feel great right so during those particular times you are that you're at risk there for saying you know what i feel fine why am i taking this medication i don't feel sick i'm putting quotation marks around sick um you know i can manage this i've got this right you let your guard down right and have you, i did have it. you
0: done yeah that's yeah.
1: I did it. Um, I actually decided about, I thought that I was going to be in my medication. I said, I I only need it for a year. Like I pre-decided that I only needed it for a year. And so then what I started doing, because I didn't have a psychiatrist at the new place I was living, I started weaning off my medication, 25 milligrams at a time. And I'm saying to myself, well, it's only 25 milligrams. Let me tell you something about psychiatric medication, there is something that we call the therapeutic dose. Okay. And this is a dosage of medication that allows your symptoms to be maintained and managed properly. If you take less, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're only a little bit less managed, right? If you're not at a therapeutic dose, it's almost, I'm going to say almost just as bad as Taking nothing at all, right? And so I started weaning down 25 milligrams at a time. You know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm just going to stop and, you know, struggle with that. So over a period of two months, I weaned myself down to a very, very low dose that was nowhere near my therapeutic dose, like hundreds of milligrams off. And what happens? All of the symptoms come rushing back in just like they did at the beginning. And so that's the that's the hardest part because did you I still find yourself get
0: those, in a really bad situation after you decided to do that.
1: Um it wasn't as bad as maybe like some of the other situations. Uh <laughs> I moved my wedding up six months because I became a super wedding planner. <laughs> never move your wedding up six months. I, yeah, anyway, um, I woke up one day and decided I was going to buy a house. And uh, my fiance at the time really didn't have a choice in this because I was like, we're getting a house today. We couldn't afford a house. I don't know how they gave us a mortgage, right? And we were house poor for like five or six years because I insisted that we had to buy a house. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't know anything about my illness any more than I did, right? And, um, but then I started having the increased anxiety. I started, you know, going up and down. And then I eventually did get in contact with a a psychiatrist to, of course, put my meds right back up. But when I do pass through periods of stability, and this obviously can be very related to sobriety, I do get that. It's like that little trickster that we talk about. Yeah. I, it happens with your mental health too, where you're like, I'm having a good day. I don't need to be, I don't need to go to my group appointment today. I don't need to go to my therapist today. I can cancel this. I don't this. need to
0: get on IAS today. Yeah,
1: I don't need to do my daily pledge. You know, I'm, I've i actually nicknamed my little trickster because I didn't have a name for her. Um, she's a devil with a blue dress on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's the same sort of concept that, um, I've heard, I, I know you've talked about it and other people talked about it, that kind of voice, um, the attic voice is world, my number one. Yeah.
0: It's like, Oh, I, I can, I, I can
1: moderate. I right. can have just one, you know, that can happen with your mental health too. You're okay. You're okay. Now you went through a rough period. You're that fixed. won't happen again. Yeah. You're fixed.
0: You yeah. know, you know, everything, you know, all your awarenesses.
1: Yep. Yeah, you can prevent this.
0: So yeah. you've had to come to terms in your life that this is a lifelong mm-hmm. journey with your mental illness.
1: I live alongside it.
0: And it you've is, had, it is now not you, me.
1: It is. It, I live with it. It's like that, a roommate.
0: <laughs> and now you've had to do this with addiction. That, mm-hmm. And with addiction, I think in pathways, and I don't know really how to even think about pathways with mental illness but addiction i think it is in pathways it's built it's like i was telling my son you learned how to type you can't unlearn how to mm-hmm. type with yeah. addiction you learn how to be um, you got it's two things you got the chemicals plus the behaviors
1: you mm-hmm. can't unlearn it it's there yeah
0: um but, so you've had to make this these choices that are have you found a spot where you're comfortable in your life where you're okay with this is what i got to do for the rest of my life type scenario
1: for the most part i think i you make your piece at several points i think the biggest time that i made my piece i was around like 26 ish years old that was when i had my biggest the biggest piece of the piece puzzle (laughs) sorry for all the alliteration there. The majority of the piece happened around that time. But every time I go through some type of mood cycle or change in my mental health, I have to remind myself of this. And um, I find... So it's not
0: just once that you have to, like, accept this. Yeah,
1: I just... It's, it's a, I have an to over... reaccept it. I guess not the whole thing. I'm re-accepting a new portion of it, right? I'm allowing more acceptance um, in. And that's kind of how I viewed um choosing sobriety as well, is that I kind of had my inner peace and understanding of what I was living with the rest of my life. And I kind of welcomed sobriety into that. I kind of said, you know what? I absolutely know that I have a major issue with moderation. I accept this. And, and then I think the other thing is I drink alcohol to escape. I want to know myself and I can't do that if I am drinking. So I accepted that part of it. So if I already know that I'm going to be living the rest of my life with bipolar disorder, that's cool. Like I I already have that, but I can accept new things into that and what it looks like changes over time. But I just try to really, really try to keep my mentality of I am not my illness. I am not my drinking. I am not my mania. I am not my depression, right? I am a person first and I am living with. Or I, you know, that is how I describe myself. It is very important, the language that you use, you internalize what you say. If I say, you know, I'm bipolar. No, I am not bipolar. I am a person living with, right? What's
0: bipolar? Oh, that's yeah. huge. And
1: same, same with like, um, you know, I'm an but- alcoholic. I don't say that. I say, I am a person who has consciously identified that I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I say that to myself very specifically, right? And I am a person who cannot moderate with alcohol, right? And so I choose my language very carefully, because what you say, I think I talked about this in my last one, goes into your head, and it will swirl around. And if you have anxiety or anything like that, that thought might get distorted. And then all of a sudden you really start internalizing these things and it can bring about some weird feelings, like, you know, kind of like hopelessness and scared and all that kind of stuff. So I really try to view myself as me and all of these things, like I said, they're just kind of roommates.
0: Yeah. It's just crazy how all of this is um, um, it seems so related And where you can get to the point where every using doing the one day at a time, Mm -hmm. I think really matters, like, in this situation, because it's easier that way, because then it's not so overwhelming.
1: It's kind of funny, like when I started, I found the one day at a time saying, I avoided using it initially when I was um, engaging with uh, people um, when I was working on my, uh, my sober journey in the early days. I was kind of like, oh, this is so typical, right? Like I kind of like rolled my eyes at it, right? Right. Um, But at the same time, eventually as one day at a time became another day at a time, became another day at a time, I think it was maybe about two months in or so. I was like, damn, it really is one day at a time. And you want to know what? I say that now because I believe it because I've experienced it and I understand what it means. And it's funny. I'm a yoga teacher. We're all about living in the present moment, but that one day at a time, you know, phrase that I knew was associated with, you know, you know, uh, I think it might be associated with AA or like I'd heard it associated with alcoholics. I was, I was rejecting it initially, but then. And I'm just
0: finding where I'm seeing how important it is. Yeah. Where you get to wake up every day and make a new dis- new choice because it's a new day.
1: Yeah. And you're gonna you make a make make new choice. The next, the next right choice. And it wasn't until I actually experienced it in relation to my drinking that I accepted it. I had accepted be present in a yogic sense, but the one day at a time, that one that one took quite a few days to understand it and to live it and to really under, like to connect with it. And I'm glad that I didn't force it upon myself. I'm glad it wasn't forced upon me, um, but I kind of accepted it into my inner peace on my own time. And so I apply this to both my mental health now and to my commitment to not drinking alcohol.
0: If you got time, I'd like to like come back real quick, kind of explain what I went through. So somebody has another example. Yeah, because my default is a little bit different than your default and then you can kind of help me explain what was going on with mine and then that'll give us one more example so we'll we'll come right back and then we'll do that okay we're back and we decided while we were on break to bring up one more uh topic with you and that's you being a mother while you go through this yeah
1: this is a biggie uh Yeah. I'm sorry to bring up like the hugest topic, (laughs) but, um, I think it's important that any type of health, whether it's your mental health, your physical health, or, you know, your addiction recovery or anything like that, you have to look at your motivations. There are motivations for everything. And I think I got a lot of clarity um, what my motivations were when um, I became a mother and my daughter just turned seven. And it's very, very important to me that she recognizes that I am taking care of myself, right? I don't want her to have the perception that I didn't try. Okay. So um,
0: and not only that, there's a possibility mm -hmm. that this mental illness was transferred in the genes Mm -hmm. too. Correct.
1: Yeah. So like there is obviously mental illness, there is a genetic component to it. And I recognize that it is a possibility that she could end up having the same diagnosis as me. And it's my hope that I am building a, strong enough connection and bond with her um, that if this type of thing starts happening to her um, that she can come to me I do not plan on keeping this my diagnosis a secret from her you know obviously I'm not going to try to explain this to a seven-year-old you know but when she is older this is a serious conversation that we need to have about she needs to understand what mental health is. And so it's really important for me that she recognizes that I'm taking care of myself. Right. And that's not just with the mental health. Um, you know, that's with Uh, my drinking too. Obviously, she's seven, she kind of has an awareness that something's different. She notices that I'm not drinking wine or beer, right? You know, so she notices, she
0: notices, this.
1: yeah, she notices, like, she knows that I I drink, like, you know, juice now and stuff like that. Um, So I think that recognizing that, although having extrinsic motivation, so motivation outside of yourself, it's good to have a balance of this extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. You have to have inner motivation and you have to have outer motivation, right? And I have found that with a lot of people I've interacted with on the mental health side and on uh, the sobriety side, parenting has been a very, very strong motivation. And from people I've talked to, uh, people are feeling a lot more uh, patient with their children. They are feeling more present with their children. Um, me personally, like this is, I think the first time I said this, I cried, but, um, my daughter, uh, my ex and I, we have uh, shared custody of her. And when she would go to be with her dad, the first thing I would do is have a drink. Oh, I'm kidless, have a drink. And, um, this was actually a trigger for me for quite some time. Like when she would walk out the door, I was like, okay, don't get a drink. But I started feeling um, when I stopped drinking that I was looking forward to her coming back. Whereas before I, I wouldn't say that I dreaded her coming back into my care, but I wouldn't say that I looked, looked forward to it either. And in some ways i don't think that we should ever discount what children pick up on because they're very receptive and intuitive little beings i sometimes wonder if she if she sensed that right
0: well let's talk about that because you we talked a little bit about this before and she senses if you're a higher load already doesn't yeah.
1: she yeah she's um my daughter in particular is very sensitive in, in all of the most amazing ways. She's very empathic. Um, she recognizes when I am not feeling well and she will sometimes even like, you know, say, mommy, you should rest your mind. Um, and I love that about her. She wants to take care of me. Right. And where does she learn how to take care? I teach her how to care for somebody. And so when she is turning around and taking care of me, like, for example, if I'm, you know, having trouble getting out of bed that day, or if I'm not feeling well, I mean, I hated when she would try to take care of me when I had a hangover, <laughs> but right, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I can almost see what I've instilled in her in terms of caring um, when she gives it back to me and so I think that maybe she at seven years old probably can't vocalize the changes that she sees in me but I think she she recognizes but
0: she'll like say mommy you need rest
1: yeah she'll she'll tell me you you need to rest your brain
0: you need so she's in tune with you really well
1: and something that I always say to her is um I've always tell her that sleep fixes everything you know, she like gets a little bug bite and, you know, she doesn't want to say, oh, well, sleep fixes everything. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I tell her this, especially when she's sick, you know, and, she, and I'm just like, well, when you go to sleep, you know, sleep, sleep will make you feel better. And she uses this line on me. She's like, well, sleep fixes everything. You know, you'll, you'll feel better when you wake up. And um, yeah, like it's, it, it's a really great motivator because, you know, I, I am shaping a a young mind. And as she grows older, she's going to recognize even more the things that I am doing to stay healthy. And I'm not going to say that the only reason why I'm staying healthy and the only reason why I'm staying sober is because of her. I'm doing it because of me and for her.
0: And it's another, like you said, another method, Mm -hmm. external motivation you have yeah. your internal motivation yeah your external motivation and it's even made you you've obviously seen that there's a difference
1: mm-hmm. when you
0: drink when i drink alcohol stole all my time from my grandkids my wife mm-hmm. from everyone yeah I'm not in, and then i was just selfish about my drinking you're getting it in my way so here's your daughter coming back to you
1: yeah
0: and it's not like you you're not overjoyed like you are now off mm-hmm. the alcohol because it, I'm not saying it is, but maybe that's part of it where you're like the alcohol is kind of being selfish. Oh, mm-hmm. this child's going to get it in the way of my drinking now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because I I was kind of on a cycle with my drinking with her basically with her custody schedule. I did not drink as much when she was in my care. I was maybe having like, you know, one, two or three drinks. And after she went to bed. Or sometimes I would have a drink at dinner, um, you know, uh, but when I didn't have her, that's when sometimes I would get into the, the binge drinking behaviors. That's when, that's when a lot of the blackouts were happening. That's when, you know, things kind of got sort of heavy. And like I said, it, I was on, it's like, it's, it's like my whole life is cycles. Like I'm on a mood cycle with, my, with bipolar disorder. And then I was almost on like a drinking cycle, right? And right, you've, become,
0: like you've really confronted two things at one time. But
1: I run headfirst
0: into them. <laughs> I, but the cool thing is, you're not just trying to take a pill to get through it. You're diving in. You started diving in at, at when you were younger, in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. And you've, di- you've dove in all these years. And now you're diving into your sobriety too. Mm-hmm. And it's just cool that you have all these awarenesses, and you're going to be able to help us out because you're going to be mm-hmm. coming back more. Um, probably, uh, you'll be back with Polly when uh yeah. again, and then when Karina gets back, because you have a lot, it's not just manic and hy- hypomanic and manic that you have uh, mm-hmm. knowledge about, you have a lot of knowledge about mental health because yeah, you dove in and you can help us.
1: Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's just, it's just been my entire adult
0: life. Right. And it's not just out of a book. It's out of what you've lived and experienced, mm-hmm. which is so cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So with my, I was going to mention with my manic, I didn't even, I'm 58 years old. I never really even knew that I had a mental illness and I rejected the theories of mental illness that mm-hmm. it was just garbage. So all these years where I could have had help like you've had, I've rejected it even I have a mom that's highly educated in this mm-hmm. and I've rejected every she doesn't. In fact, recently she told me, I never mention it to you because you won't listen to me when very I finally, common. when I finally came to her and she's like, I just, it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So I went, I didn't realize I had another issue till I got off the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then um, I started this podcast mm-hmm. and I was, silvertown.com, silvertownpodcast.com all over the IAS app and they were they were really cool about it and they let me get away with it for a while and I didn't know about marketing and spam and all of that I had no idea and I, so I got this email that was really cool um, hey we love what you're doing and uh, we're maybe one day we're thinking about podcast too and but this is um, your what you're doing is you're spamming our website, and we just you can still talk about what you're doing, but not put it on every friggin' post, right? In mm-hmm. big, bold letters, sobertownpodcast.com. So I agreed to this with them, and I was really cool about it. I was on my way home from work, sent them an email back. Yeah, that's cool, no problem. I came home, I fell asleep for one hour.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I woke up, and all of a sudden, I'm like, Well, hold it, don't they know what I'm doing? I'm, yeah. I'm trying to help people. And not only am I trying to help people, I'm trying to help people on the, their website. Mm-hmm. And I started a campaign. And this is, I found out, this is my default.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I feel somebody uh, confronts me and, and I go into my manic, I guess it's more than hypermania. And I go mm-hmm. into this manic state. Um, I start campaigning against mm-hmm. anybody that confronts me which has to do with, and I've traced it all the way back to my childhood, the abuse of being a childhood and then in and out of jails and all this stuff, prisons and rehabs. And through my whole life, it's become, it's become my default. You learn shopping and I learn to confront anything that Mm -hmm. comes at me.
1: Yeah. That elevated mood state. um, it. You mentioned when you listed off the characteristics of mania, and one of them was um, grandiosity, like having this um, inflated sense of self. And we had this conversation before we started the pod or before we started our recording. And I said, yeah, because what's happened is that when you're in mania, you have like this really weird perception of yourself where you think that you are more powerful, or more important. um, I'm not saying that you're not important, but more powerful or more important than you actually are. Right. And you kind of have this thing where you're just like, you have something that you're passionate about. And then you have become kind of like the protector of the people you want to protect these people, you want to help these people. I want to help all of these people. All these people can be helped. I'm doing something, you know, to get to share my message. And this is what my message lines up with your message. And we can work together and we can, we can do so much good. And then they're telling you, you know, to dial it down. And you're just like, why so much? Like, you know, you, and like that's happened to me too. You know, I think I gave you an example about how sometimes I get really agitated in waiting rooms and I get really sensitive about songs that are playing. And sometimes I'm just like, you should not be playing this song in here. There's people that could be suicidal. And then, you know, I become the protector of the people. Right. And so what's sort of happening is that your sense of self, um, when I say becomes inflated, I'm not saying that you have a huge ego. Right. What I'm saying is that you become very mission oriented and you become very passionate. And you, you, like you said, you just want to get your message out. And, and your
0: brain is racing a thousand and miles you just an hour
1: become fixated. You become yes. so fixated on it. And it's the only thing you can think about and you're not sleeping and you're not eating. You're dedicated to the cause. Right. And so I had,
0: I had one hour sleep, right? Yeah. My wife thought I was in there sleeping the whole time, Mm -hmm. and is what I did is I started my campaign. I started getting people behind me to in IAS and say, "Hey, look, I'm doing this and this and this," Mm -hmm. to get them on my bandwagon. And I'm not only just one post; I wrote like three or four posts that day, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to convince and attack IAS support for them not letting me just run rampant Mm -hmm. on their, on their amazing website. Right.
1: Yeah. See, it's like your intentions, your intentions are good and pure, but when you're experiencing mania, your execution is off, I guess we could say. Right? You can have the best of intentions, but when you are in a state where you are not kind of regulating your mood properly, um, it can be really hard to do this in a productive, um, you know, beneficial way. Right. So you almost you can separate this into your intentions and your execution, right? Are you going to be able to execute this when you're when you're manic? No, probably not. You're probably going to burn more bridges. Will you be able to execute this when you're depressed? Mm, Maybe not because you probably don't have the or the motivation to even bother. And so that's kind of why when I was mentioning, when you get on the, the, like a feeling of stability, when you have that clarity of, you know, your mood, whether it's like kind of, is it in between, where is it? um, It's in these moments of stability where we really have to um, connect with what matters most to us. Right. And it's at this time of stability where things that you have a lot of passion and good intentions for, whether it be like, you know, this cause of spreading um, addiction recovery awareness, you know, whether it's connecting with family, all this kind of stuff. If you really got to seize that time. And that's not to say that you can't love and you can't campaign and you can't inflict change when you're in extreme mood states. Right but the best time to do it when you can really connect with all of the, your inner powers and outer powers is having an awareness of when you are in your optimal zone, if you will.
0: Yeah. So I'm, so here I am, I'm back there like eight hours and I'm, I'm doing all this crazy shit. And then finally people start coming on my timeline saying, Hey, Drifter, you you're pushing this a little too far and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like what are you talking about they're probably laughing right now about what I'm doing because you know Mm -hmm. I'm helping them and then I got they got fed up and they sent me and they were still gracious in their email they sent me
1: I think I told you that they killed you with kindness they
0: killed me with kindness and it was cutting so deep Mm -hmm. and you talked about that balloon deflating it blew up and I I went straight into deep depression where I'm like, Oh my God, what did I just do?
1: Yeah. What have I I done
0: all day long? I've been campaigning and then, then the realization, and this is the same thing that alcohol always did to me. I would get inflated, get like crazy. Yeah. And then at the end, when I wake up the next day, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm crashed. I'm ashamed. I'm. I feel guilty. I feel remorse. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about suicide this time, like how alcohol Mm -hmm. brought me to suicidal states, but the crash was really hard. And I was Mm -hmm. supposed to go to work in a couple hours. I had to call up my relay and say, "Look, I can't make it. You're going to have to come further." And that night, when I was driving, is when I realized there's something more going on here than Mm -hmm. because. All this time, see, so see, I thought it was the alcohol doing this to me, but here mm-hmm. I am, seven or eight months down the road. There is no alcohol,
1: yeah, and, and it's I'm still, still happening,
0: and it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And then I started, wow, I got, I think I may have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking up the, you know, first I found bipolar, and I really mm-hmm. didn't think I was yeah. too much bipolar. Then I saw hypomania, and yep. mania. Yeah. And that's when Dan, I got my mom on the phone and mm-hmm. just a huge real revelation. And then my mom was just blown away that I'm even talking to her about this at this point. Like, yeah. who is this kid on the phone? <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah. So and, like the hypomania and depression and mania, they're all symptoms of uh, bipolar disorder. And I think we talked briefly that with bipolar disorder, you need to have the alternating between the two moods, whether it be mania or hypomania with depression and the, the difficulty with regulating them. So your difficulty with the regulation came from, you had this extremely elevated mood state and everyone gets pumped about things. Like we have to, you know, let's relate to everyone here. Everyone can get really excited and passionate about things and campaign about things. Yes, that can happen, right? yes, we all experience disappointments. Absolutely. Do we feel like we've deflated when something disappointing happens? Yes. But do you go from from an extreme high to an extreme low in a matter of hours?
0: Or even minutes.
1: Minutes. And so we have to imagine that sound wave graph. Right. So when there is difficulty regulating the alternating between these moods, the you have to imagine the highs are really high and the lows are really low and they're happening really fast up and down, up and down, up and down. Right. Whereas someone that does not have a mood disorder, they're kind of closer to the flat line. They they do alternate because everybody does. Everybody does. But at the same time, where we have to be careful is we have to look at what's going on in that period of stability, how long is it? And how often are these extreme highs and extreme lows happening, right? And going from one to another, just like, boom, that can be very, it's very jarring for a person. It can be dangerous. It can be uh, very, very rough.
0: Well, when I look at my life, um, it's definitely been, uh, a cycle through my whole life
1: mm-hmm.
0: which yeah. which has put me in and out of jail, in and out of prisons, in and out yeah. of rehabs through my whole life because I always thought it was just the alcohol right?
1: Well it's like like I said, it takes so long to get a proper diagnosis of bipolar disorder because oftentimes what um, clinicians are having to do is look back over almost a lifetime to see the pattern of behavior. So when I'm saying with bipolar disorder that, you know, it's just not one of those things where you just like walk in and walk out and get it. No, let let me take your
0: temperature and your blood pressure. Oh, you're bipolar.
1: Yeah, no, a demonstrated pattern has to be shown. There are a few other things that are maybe a little bit too medical to go on, but a demonstrated pattern needs to be shown for this. And that is why it can take so many years to be properly diagnosed.
0: So someone that is off the alcohol and if they find themselves going through the same or, and it's not probably going to be exactly like mine or exactly like yours, Mm But if they still find themselves going through these highs and lows, Mm -hmm. maybe there's more going on than just getting out the alcohol.
1: Yeah, Um, keep in mind too, right? That bipolar disorder affects approximately, approximately uh, 5% of the population, okay? So we need to be careful that we are, not assuming diagnoses, right? It's it's important to um, speak to a professional about this type of thing. Um, the best thing that I can recommend is that you, if you feel like you are having a lot of mood fluctuations, you're having uh, trouble regulating your mood. I spoke about emotional dysregulation um, in the other podcast that I did. I think it was episode one forty four. Um, the best thing that you can do is to track your moods, okay? Because when you look back, you're like, oh, I think I was depressed last Thursday. No, um, I'm not talking about writing pages upon pages in a journal or anything like that. Personally, um, I use the IAS app. Um, I've been using it for the past couple of months. And at the end of the day, you can do your little daily check-in and select which emojis you experienced during that day. Oh yeah. And lately, I've been actually using that with my psychiatrist. I'll be like, okay, I had uh, 10 fines and, you know, like <laughs> right. six goods. You can do your own variation of this. You without, just, writing,
0: without writing tons of paragraphs yeah, and sentences. And,
1: or even just writing three adjectives a day, you know, like you could write, you know, frustrated, um, agitated, nervous. Um, Or you could write um, happy, you know, elevated, sad.
0: (laughs) But you're keeping a record of it.
1: Keep a record of it. Because if you're going to be um, speaking with a doctor or a medical professional or some type of mental health clinician, when you have the information and the data that can help to expedite the process, right? Because So much of getting treatment for, um, mental health concerns is based on your personal reporting, right? You are reporting how you feel, right? And so if you are not reporting accurate information, um, like I always make the joke that why are my psychiatrist appointments always on the worst days? Like I'm, I'm in the worst mood and now I have to talk to my damn psychiatrist. Like, why can't I talk to her on a good day? Um, So that's why I try to keep some type of record of what actually happened in real time in that moment. What did I feel? Yeah. Um, And then that way, you can be sure that you are being, um, you're not biased, right? You're not trying to oversell the bad. Um, You know, that that does happen sometimes. Uh, And you're not, uh, especially, with issues like a mania, like you're not overselling the good either. You need right. a, a realistic, um, you know. So that's what I, I'm going
0: to start doing that myself. Yeah. I'm going to start journaling. Yeah. And just, another thing with me with getting, now that I have the awareness, mm-hmm. because I can feel this coming on and I've felt it my whole life. I just thought yeah. it was just adrenaline, which it may mm-hmm.
1: be just. Well, adrenaline is involved. Absolutely.
0: Because I, I, I get amped up. And, yeah. but I can feel it coming on and everybody that knows me knows that I talk about act awareness, clarity, yeah. turnaround. And I've been using act to, when I feel this coming on, I get aware, I clarify it. And I, and I use my own way of turning this around to talk myself out and just dis- i I'm disconnecting. And mm-hmm. Todd is the one who told me about disconnecting, mm-hmm. um, because uh, someone in his life is bipolar, and that's what they do—they disconnect, and they mm-hmm. found management, and and that's what I'm finding. Wow! If I can just disconnect,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't go full manic, and yeah. if I don't go full manic, I don't go then, full depressed
1: Yeah. And so I had made the suggestion with this act that you um, were talking about, turn it into three sentences. Boom. Right. You know, because like I said, you don't have to write a damn book, right? So turn it into three sentences and those three sentences would have so much value. And when you go back and look at them, I wouldn't recommend looking at what you journaled for like several months later. Um, Sometimes it's weird. I've been journaling for over 10 years. Sometimes I find it difficult to read what I've written recently. Um, I share what is relevant or I star important entries for um, my support people. But um, I find that I prefer not to read what I've written um, until quite a bit later, right? Because sometimes if something um, traumatic or something that was very emotional occurred, right? When you're going back and reading in a way you kind of relive it, right?
0: Oh, it's amazing. You say that Mm -hmm. because I have a really huge problem and it's one of my deleting issues. When I start sharing events from my past, I get really, really wound up.
1: Yeah. And as a method of protection for myself, like I said, with journaling, It's almost like I have it on the page, right? That's an excellent way of emptying it, but I don't have to go back and revisit it, right? And in terms of, I mean, obviously PTSD and past events, even recalling sometimes some of my past events in mania can be very triggering for me. Um, At the same time, there has to be a way that we can kind of like like let the tension out. And so that's why I'm really grateful to be having the opportunity to be doing this podcast with you. Because I am like you, I'm very passionate, especially about helping people and creating awareness around mental health. And so when I feel like I am sharing my experiences with mania and depression, this is a very good way of taking All of that, those really intense moments in my life that created a lot of destruction, and creating them into something um, that can be good, right? Well, I'll tell
0: you what, I'm really happy for this podcast right now because (laughs) just today talking to you, Mm -hmm. you've helped me in a lot of different ways, and that's how that's why we're just talking about this stuff brings awareness, Mm -hmm. and now I, I have even more ways to fight. Because I'm pretty much the alcohol really doesn't have that attic voice. I've got that sucker slammed up in a soundproof steel cage right now <laughs> yeah. that it hardly ever gets out. Yeah. But I have other voices in my head that have sprouted up now that that attic voice is out of the way.
1: Well, those, when you address that, like we were just talking about, if you address your mental health, it's going to help the the alcohol recovery as well, it's going to keep that guy locked up. So we we need to look at our mental health and our addiction recovery, not as being two separate things, but they will reinforce each other. And I- And, and they're married. I, I, they're married. I firmly believe that if you keep on working on your mental health, that will lock up that cell even tighter and tighter because alcohol uh, addiction and mental health, I really- really have a hard time separating them because I, I truly, like I said, they are, they are interconnected. Absolutely.
0: And I hope more, you know, that we, if there's anybody listening that they, they're not alone, don't be ashamed to get um, help. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
0: you know, I've been on those low lows where uh, I don't know. Look, I've, i and I've never really even not very many people even know this. I've tried to slip my wrist once and I and I think I've had a gun in my to my head or in my mouth at least three or four times. That's mm-hmm. where this stuff takes you when you crash.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: if we don't get that low, uh, if mm-hmm. you find a way not to get that low and start addressing it, maybe uh, other lives will be saved.
1: Let's get some coping mechanisms in there. And, you know, we've been kind of focusing on the mania and the hypomania today, but we've got a whole other side when we, when we start looking at the depression
0: and possibly with, I don't know what you're going to be coming back with Polly next. Mm -hmm. You're, You're going to make like this little tour, huh?
1: Uh, yeah. I'm riding the sober train to all
0: the stops. You are. So you're <laughs> going to go, you're going to visit with Polly next.
1: Yeah.
0: And then Karina is going to be back from her vacation by then. Mm-hmm. And Karina is just, man, she's just amazing. She's into the mental health, uh, yep. a retired nurse. Yep. She's just like a ball of See, I'm just so blessed to have all of you around me that have all this knowledge and, and personal experience. It's just mm-hmm. Amazing. All of you. Amazing.
1: Well, the great thing about mental health is you can approach it from so many different ways. You know, we took just one approach and that's why I think it's great that, you know, I'm maybe speaking with different people because what is interesting, Polly, or what's interesting, Karina is different from you. So like, you know, we're, we're approaching mental health from all angles, just like we do with sobriety, approach it from as many ways as you possibly can. And, you know, be that's what I about like it. about.
0: So sober town podcast. Mm-hmm. We have different people doing different interviews, talking mm-hmm. about different topics. And it's not just one, uh, one person and their opinions. It's that's right. multiply. And we want AA. a, uh, we want, well, the 12 steps, a recovery, smart recovery. It doesn't matter how you get sober. Um, mm-hmm. Because even a lot of the yoga teachers, they they are people doing yoga, they're into meditation. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many different ways that hopefully we can build this podcast and the website to where you can just come on here and find whatever help you want to get.
1: Yeah. The idea is that, I mean, if even if you listen to a podcast and one thing, if I've said one thing and it has helped one person today, I can't imagine anything better than that.
0: That's right. Well, then you've done it because you helped me. No, thank you. Which is huge because, I mean, I'm I'm only a couple months into my awareness that yes, there is a mental illness. And look, there is a stigma out there about mental illness because I've already had people try to talk me out of, oh, no, you don't have mental illness, mm-hmm. At, which that was me because I used to tell people the same thing there's no way. And that's just a bunch of uh, bullshit and they're Mm -hmm. going to set you up in their traps and this and that. But look, there's more going on in my head at 58 Mm -hmm. than I ever thought possible. And it's, and I'm not ashamed of it. And I want to bring awareness to it.
1: Absolutely. I'm with you 100%.
0: So thank you, Cece, so much for being here pretty soon. You'll be with Polly and, and I can't wait.
1: Neither can
0: I. Thank you for joining the uh, Silvertown podcast. Check out SobertownPodcast.com. Remember to pour the poison down the sink. And thank you very much.